to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. This is, I don't know if this is a sermon or not, this is, a, this is maybe more a little bit of testimony of, of the last six or eight months maybe. Um, and it's not finished either, which is the funny bit, this is, what you, this is what happens when you spend the day walking around looking at sheep and rabbits and various other things at Balmoral. You suddenly realise here, <laughs> could be in trouble. So uh, I want to splurge a wee bit this morning, I think, about just some of my own experience of the last six or eight months. We finished Alpha Marriage on Sunday night, apart from a feast that we're going to have at some stage in the next few weeks to, uh, to, to conclude everything. <laughs> and it has been a really, a really amazing, fantastic blessing, um, even for... For a couple that have been married nearly 16 years, it still has been wonderful to sit down and take time to, to talk about things and, and create two hours on a Sunday night to enjoy a nice, a nice little dessert and a cup of coffee and just time together to talk through marriage and all sorts of things. It's been, it's been class. And there was one night, it was, it was back quite near the start, I think it was the second week of it, which, which was about that sort of wonderful topic of communication. And thankfully, that's something that we've got a lot better at than we used to be. And that night, there was a, a window of discussion time. And the way Alpha Marriage works, for, for those of you who aren't at all familiar with it, you, everything is just you and your spouse. You're not discussing things in front of other people. It's just beautifully set up. You're sitting at a little table, just the two of you, all evening. There are six or seven or eight other couples in the room, but you only engage with each other. You're, you're not sort of you're not talking about everything in front of others. So we, during these little discussion times, one of the questions that came up was they, they had gone through this just this sort of exercise in listening to each other and and how to pay attention to each other and stuff like that. And then they, they wanted us to to road test this and and the question was just talk about something that you have not yet spoken about or you haven't discussed lately with your spouse and it didn't have to be about marriage or about parenting it could could have been about those things could have been about work could have been about anything and i can remember sitting with a you know in the in the couple of minutes that we had to, to have a think about what we're going to talk about thinking what we'll talk about and can you remember what i talked about <laughs> i don't want this to sound over, overly noble I don't want to sound noble at all, but you're making a call there. Good man. Um, the thing that I wanted to talk about that I hadn't spoken to anyone about, but had been ongoing in me at that point for probably four or five months, was an absolute desperation for God. Like I've never experienced before in my life, and I'm not trying to sound holy. A yearning, a desperate yearning to encounter God and to have more intimacy with him and to know his voice and hear it more clearly and to know his character and have it developed in me a lot more fully. Just this desperation that had been driving me mad really, to be honest, for, for I was half demented for four or five months seeking God 
every morning, coming down here at times to the prayer room, falling asleep at night and just saying, Lord, I want you to speak to me. Take my dreams, speak to me. I want to hear you. I'm desperate for you. Waking up in the morning and, and hauling myself out of bed. It's like, God, I want to hear you this morning. I want to encounter you this morning. I want to commune with you and be close to you. Desperate for him. Craving an encounter with him. And at the turn of the year, I got frustrated wandering around on the internet looking for a reading plan, a Bible reading plan, and I got annoyed with them. And I just made up my own because I want to know the big story. So I want to read from the Old Testament every day. And I want to know Christian living, so I want to read Paul every day. But I don't want a reading plan that causes me to go one day without hearing Jesus. So I've cooked up this thing where, where every day I'm reading something from the Gospels. Every day I'm, I'm taking on board something that he says or watching something that he does. Desperate for him. Praying, fasting, ruthless about sin. I think some people think I'm a bit of a freak, that I'm too ruthless about sin. Uh, kids in school come to me and say, Sir, have you watched this? And I'm like, no. Why have you not watched it, sir? And I'm like, well, that would offend two people that I love. One, it would offend Jesus, and two, it would offend my wife. So that's why I don't watch it. I had a kid come to me the other day saying he wanted to study chemistry. And I said, what do you, what do you, have you any career choices, anything you want to do? And he said, I want to be a chemist. And he's like, this is, this is rare. You know, I know I'm living the dream. And you get the odd one who wants to be a chemist. Like, but very, and, he, and he said, I want to be a chemist. I want to work with chemicals and elements and compounds and, and do stuff. I'm like, what has awakened this in you? The kid's about 14. He said, breaking bad. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, have you watched it? I said, no, I haven't. I, I tried and I, I turned it off because I didn't like it. Ruthless about, you know, I don't want to be exposed to anything that, that would awaken sin in me. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to watch things with, with, with really horrific language in them that would maybe awaken that sort of language in me. I don't want to watch things that are full of... of uh, Kids are out, so we can just say it. Sex, because I don't want it to stir up some sort of ugly desire in me. I'm ruthless about sin. I want to encounter God. I'm desperate for Jesus. I really am. I'm hungry for him. And, I, and I'm just, just trying to, to clear the way. I remember preaching a sermon over there a couple of years ago about that time when the roundabout, half the roundabout disappeared at Ballylisk. You might remember it because this big lorry had to come and it couldn't get round the roundabout. And I literally had to take away half the roundabout to let the thing drive through. I just want to clear away everything in my life and be ruthless about it and not tolerate little things, anything that would offend my king. King Jesus, you're the name we're lifting high. I don't want to, to accommodate anything that might cause the presence of the Holy Spirit to be taken from me or to, to move away from me. So I'm ruthless about sin. I have 20 years behind me this December, 20 years since I really decided I am following Jesus when I was 21 years old. And I've never craved him more than I do now. Never. I am desperate <coughs> to know him. To the point that for the last eight or nine months, it has been it is an exercise in desperation. 
And one of the things, you know, I go to Forge every couple of months and we were in Chester in March and one of the guys there, um, one of the teachers, and he's a, he is a teacher, he's a pure Bible teacher, he, he teaches in, in universities and that as well, he's, he's great, I love him. Um, and, I, and I was really frustrated and he could tell that I was drawn and I was drained and I was stretched and he, he took me aside to, to talk to me and in this period of just seeking and wanting to encounter Jesus, I said to him, I said, Wes, as you get older in your walk with God, do these moments of communion and encounter, do they, do they become more rare? Do they become more infrequent? What's going on? I'm desperate for him. And I feel like I'm chasing after something that I can't quite lay hold of. I'm desperate for it. And he, and he sort of basically gently rebuked me. And he said, don't you be thinking like that. Because you need that more than ever. You need that encounter. You need that communion. You never move away from that ever. And you never move to a point where you allow it to become less frequent. Or you tolerate it being less. You need that deep communion with Jesus. You need to crave that and keep chasing after it. I can remember you know, TV shows when I was a kid. I can't remember whether it was the Dukes of Hazard or Smokey and the Bandit or both of them. But there used to be this term that the sheriff would use where he'd say, I'm in hot pursuit. <laughs> and whenever the, 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 the guy you're trying to catch is in a black Trans Am, hot pursuit doesn't always, doesn't always cut it. And I sometimes have felt lately like Jesus is in a black trans am and I'm trying to catch him, but I can't keep up. I'm desperate for him. I want to pursue him. One of the things that I, that I think I predominantly want to do in ministry is one, follow Jesus. Two, inspire others to follow Jesus. And everything else can, can come behind that. All the other things that we dream about and that we want to do can, can come along behind that. I want people to follow Jesus and be in hot pursuit of him. And then at, the, at a more recent session at, at Forge, frequently on a Friday night, we'll have a time that's set aside just for worship and for some prophetic input. And uh, there was a guy speaking at the last weekend, and he's the pastor of a big church in Edinburgh. It's not central, it's a different one. But it's a big church, and it's in about four or five different cities around Scotland. And this, this, this guy's the, he's the real deal. He's a good spud. And he had just spoke for about an hour and a half on prayer. And at the end of that, I concluded this, this man is definitely a good spot. Lovely heart and just a lovely passion for Jesus. And then it was, it was getting late and, and they said, right, we're going, to, we're going to just worship for a little while. And we're going to have, have this guy come and, and pray for each of you. And I, I'm sort of embarrassed almost to admit that. But I, I, I was sort of thinking, this is it. You know, this is the moment where the guy, the big guy from the big church is going to come and pray for me and I'm going to get it. Like, you know, after, after six or eight months of desperation for, for just a real encounter with God, I thought, this is it. And I'm sort of there and, and, and all, the, all the students are, are lined up. There's about, there's about a dozen of us and I'm quite near the, the front and I'm thinking when he gets to me, he'll still be fairly fresh. He'll not be tired. He'll, he'll have plenty left in the tank. And uh, so there's this, this one girl beside me and he prays for her and he shares something with her and he, and he comes and stands in front of me and, and I'm standing very humbly, you know, just, just like this. But inside I'm screaming, give me all you got. <laughs> give me all you got. I want the whole shooting match. Just put me on my back. Do whatever you want, God. I just want the whole thing. I've been yearning for you 
for months and months and months. I've been seeking you, I've been craving you, almost as if, do you remember in Blue Peter when they used to raise money and they'd have a chart on the wall and each and as the as the money or whatever was you know the, the line would go up like a thermometer and I'm like my thermometer is at the top and this is it. I'm about to download the big reward here. Big preacher in front of me, successful guy, knows God. Oh, nobody's here who really knows me that well, so it doesn't matter what happens, no one's gonna talk about it. And he comes up to me and he puts his hand on me and he says, Lord bless my brother, and he moved on. <laughs> I'm stood there thinking, mate, <laughs> get you back here. Like, that, is not, that is not going to hit the spot here. And away he went down the line. And I'm standing thinking, what is going on here? That's probably the best thing that could have happened to me because it made me crave even more. <laughs> it made the thirst even deeper. You never grow out of these stupid moments like that. Let's just, let's just be honest. These moments where you think, I'm going to get the flipping touch here from, from God. And... Nothing happened. And away he went down the line, blessed everybody else. And uh, the funny thing was then we gathered around him and prayed for him. And sure enough, I felt God give me something very, very specific to share with him. And he said afterwards that it blessed him and confirmed something for his life. And I'm thinking, yeah, good for you, mate. <laughs> you know? But have you, have you experienced just that craving for him? Or is it something that maybe has waned? I am desperate for Jesus. I really am. Desperate to know him. Hasn't faded. It's only increased. It is all consuming. This thirst. Jesus said in John chapter 7. Told you to go to it and then didn't read it. He said in John chapter 7 verse 37. It's at the Feast of Tabernacles. Which I'd love to go to. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Thirst in a dry place. A lot of thirsty people walking around Balmoral yesterday. We got to this, this drinks stand and Samuel was, was thirsty. And I said, normally he, he would refuse water that's not chilled. He just, he's just not good enough for his high standards, you know. <laughs> and, you, know you pour out a cup of water at the start of dinner and by, by the end of dinner, it's like, no, it's too warm. I'm not drinking it. And I said to him, yes, this water's not been in the fridge, son. You know, do, do, are you sure you want it? And he's like, get it for me. <laughs> anything, anything. Thirst in a dry place. Did you ever experience that thirst for God? nothing else will do. Jesus spoke to a woman at, at a well in, in John 4, and he said to her, whoever drinks the living water that I give will never thirst again. But I'm still thirsty. What's going on? I'm still thirsty. What causes thirst? There are, there are a couple of things, just both in, in the natural, physical, and in the spiritual, that will cause us to have thirst. In Jeremiah chapter 2, God speaks to his people, 
And he says in, in verse 13, My people have committed two sins. One, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Two, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Two sins. The first one is that they have forsaken God. Has God ever appeared absent to you? This God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But yet you sometimes feel, and feel is the important word, because feelings cannot be trusted. You sometimes feel that he is distant. And at those times you really are holding on to faith that he does not leave you nor forsake you. But he feels absent. And it's maybe not a case, it's definitely not a case that he has forsaken you. But it may be a case that you have forsaken him. My people have forsaken me, the spring of living water. We drift away from him, sometimes just in the busyness of life. We drift away, even in our, in our prayer lives. One of the things that Friday night that I was in Dundee, listening to that, that guy speaking, and he was a blessed brother, he really was, for all my humor at his expense, he was class. That he talked about his own prayer life, and worship was a huge part of his prayer life. Before he would pray for his church, before he would pray for his family, before he pray for all the many things that, that a guy who, who is in his position has got to pray for, worship, first and foremost. He did not, some of us, do you know what? I think it's possible to forsake God and still pray. It's, it's, it's possible to come to a place of prayer and, and ask God for a million and one things and tell him a million and one things that it'd be really good if he would do them quickly. It's possible to, to, to come to God's word and read it in a mechanical way. And actually still forsake him. And, and always at the end of our sessions, there's this sort of time of reflection where we're just on our own. What, what am I going to do in response to what I've heard? And it's like, I, I need to worship more. I need to worship more when I'm praying. I need to prioritize more just praising him. It does not mean singing. Can mean singing. Does not necessarily mean singing. But just devotion to him. So absence, absence of water it causes thirst because we've forsaken the living water. And then Jeremiah goes on to say a second thing, that they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. They've tried to quench their thirst in other places. Another thing that happened yesterday was uh, Samuel wanted an ice cream. And I finally got him one after four hours of him asking about every 30 seconds if he could have one. Uh, we got a proper meal and then I got him an ice cream. Hot day, cold ice cream, refreshing and all that. And I, and I watched him finish it off and the last bit of the cone went down and he looked at me and said, I'm thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> because that, that cool as it is and tasty as it is doesn't do anything for thirst. In fact, probably makes you more thirsty. Jeremiah says that, that people dig cisterns that can't hold water. They try to have their thirst quenched and their lives refreshed in the wrong places with the wrong things. And I wonder how many times we also lapse into that. In the, in the moments, in the sort of 
quiet times of our lives when we do have those, those little windows of opportunity, those little slots every day that you have control over. There's a lot of your day that you don't have a lot of control over. You have to sleep and you have to eat and you have to work and, and, and various things. But there, there are little slots that you have control over. For that window, I can do what I want. It might not be a long window. But what, what comes in at that point? What do you use to refresh yourself? Because if we use the wrong things, then the thirst only increases. We're not satisfied. And another thing that, that in, the, in the natural realm very much as well causes thirst is exhaustion. I think this is most likely my problem over the last year or so. And this is also a sin. It's not listed in Jeremiah 2, but this is a sin. This is a sin. To, to not Sabbath and to not rest is a sin. Sometimes I read a, in the newspaper or people talk about the amount of water you're supposed to drink every day. It's like about, you know, I don't know what it is. It changes from time to time, but it's, it's, it's uncomfortably large amount of water that you're meant to drink every day. And, and I think to myself, I couldn't do that, you know. Um, but then the summer comes and I get outside and I escape the confines of a classroom and I get outside into the, into the garden and I'm doing work in the garden and maybe even just cutting the grass or cutting the heads and then maybe washing a few cars and bits and pieces and you come in and you can drink and drink and drink because you've worked up a thirst. And sometimes dryness in our spirits can come because we've just been way too busy and we're craving something, but we're not making time for it. I would be very bad at drinking water when I'm not thirsty. I'm not disciplined at just going and getting a glass of water and drinking it because I should. I usually only end up drinking when I get thirsty. And sometimes we get so busy in life. I don't know what, it like, what it's like in your workplace, but in mine, for at least two terms of the year, the concept of a lunch break is unheard of. You've got the sandwich in one hand and the pen in the other, and you just keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And you never withdraw and you never rest and you never drink. And we do the same thing, I think, on a spiritual level. We can get really, really busy. And our souls can get really dry. And I think in John 4, whenever Jesus said to the woman at the well, once you drink this water, you won't thirst again. He didn't say you will never need to drink again. And I think it would be very wrong to, to, to come away from, from John 4 and that encounter with the Samaritan woman and think that Jesus said, once we've got this, we've taken a drink of this living water. And the words living water, you know, it's double meaning. John's full of double meanings, but living water literally meant running water, a stream. If you ever walk up in the, in the morns, people tell you, you know, you want to drink water from a stream, get ones high up, fast moving. Don't drink from water that's sort of just sitting there. Living water was water that was moving, but obviously Jesus was adding more to it than just that. Jesus says, if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. He doesn't say you'll never need to drink again. We need to drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. And too many people think maybe an encounter with God years ago or a decision made years ago or, or something you can look back to is enough to, to quench your thirst for life. It's not you need to keep drinking. You need to keep drinking. Samuel's providing me with another opportunity for an illustration this morning. Sometimes you sit at dinner time and, and you'll say, well, you finish your water. And he's like, I had water earlier. <laughs> you finish your water. But I drank all my water today in school. And yes, that was five hours ago. Would you drink your water? 
We have this thing that because we, we got something a year ago, five years ago, whatever, that we don't need to drink again. We misunderstand and think, my, my thirst is forever quenched. Well, if you stop drinking the living water, you're going to get thirsty again. You're going to get dry again. And we need to be continually coming back to Jesus, coming back to God and drinking of him. This thirst can only be quenched through communion with God. No other way. It's lovely to have those moments when you really just feel, you know, you're maybe at a, at a gathering or, or a worship event or a good preacher preaching or there's somebody praying for you. You just feel that, that blast of the Holy Ghost. Those are good, but you can't live on those. You can't live on those. You've got to have that place of communion and drinking deep from Jesus. In John 7, the background of of the Feast of Tabernacles is on the day that that Jesus speaks, it's the water ceremony. And you read the Old Testament, you'll read about, in Ezekiel especially, about the altar in this temple that people were looking ahead to and that water would flow from the altar. Water, living water, would flow from the place of sacrifice. And every year during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would have this ceremony called the water ceremony where the priest would stand with a jug of water and he would pour it out at the altar, symbolic of what they were looking forward to in the future. A time when when rivers of life would flow from the altar. They didn't really understand it whenever it finally came. But the priest would pour out this this jug of water and this feeble little trickle of water would come down over the altar and flow out of the temple and might come down the steps a little bit before it dried up in the dust. And the people are all standing around gathering, watching this ceremony take place. And in the middle of that scene, a voice is raised very, very uncouth, interrupting this this precious religious moment. (laughs) And Jesus yells, if anyone's thirsty... Come to me. He, he's, he's the temple that they've been looking for. He's the one from whom the living water will flow. Religion is a feeble trickle that very quickly dries up and does not satisfy. Jesus is the one who, who, who quenches people's thirst. And there's a condition upon being able to drink from him. You maybe have never sort of read this verse before as a condition, but there is a condition in order to receive that living water from Jesus. And the condition is, it's in his first four words, if anyone is thirsty. If you're thirsty, come to him and drink. We need that door closed, sorry. (laughs) If you're thirsty, come to him and drink. He doesn't invite the satisfied. Note that. He doesn't say, those of you that have got all that you need and you've got it all sorted out and your duck's all in the line and everything's just dandy-o. He says, if you're thirsty, if you realize there's a deep need for communion with me, that there's something absent in your life, come and drink. And we frequently think, do you know what? There is a need in my life, but I need to go home and clean up. I can't come to Jesus like this. I need to, I need to sort things out there. There are issues. There are relationships that I need to address. And there are all sorts of things I need to put in place. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't go home. Are you thirsty? Come to me. We'll sort those things out. But are you thirsty? Come to me. Don't think you've got to go and do something. Just come to me. 
as long as you are thirsty. I wrote a reference for Scott the other day for, for New Horizon. I'll get frustrated with references. You know, this tick box thing, reliable, punctual, all that garbage. I wish there was a box that said, is he thirsty for Jesus? Is he thirsty for Jesus? The strong people are all criticizing Jesus. The strong ones are all asking questions. The, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they're all trying to trip him up. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to have little intellectual games with him. And while the strong people are standing on the fringes doing that, the weak people and the thirsty people are pressing through and they're laying hold on his garment. Desperate for him. Desperate for him. It's very countercultural to want to be weak. But it's only the weak that experience the strength of God. It is only the thirsty that experience the living water. It's not the strong. You know, there have been good things that have been happening sort of globally in the last year or so. And there have been, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of fuss in, in the world about, about the, the voices of women who have been mistreated. And that is right. And they should have a voice. And those who have mistreated them should be held to account. But some have then pushed and pushed and pushed and it has become, you're strong. You're strong. And the whole message is, is not just that you need to raise your voice and speak forth what has happened. The whole message becomes, you're strong. You're so strong. You're, you don't need anyone. You just stand up because you're strong. And that's the message that so many young women and young men are getting from those who they set up before them as role models. You're strong and you need nobody and you need nothing. You just need yourself. And it's so against the reality of the word of God that says it is those who are weak and those who are thirsty that will really encounter the strength and the provision that they need to live. And this constant pressuring people to be these strong, independent, isolated tars is not doing them any good. It's pushing them further and further away from Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross and he said, I am thirsty. Not weird. After offering living water several times in John's gospel, he hangs on the cross and he says, I am thirsty. But one of the things that you learn from this little passage, and also from Isaiah 55 that we'll probably not get to, but this Isaiah 55 is where Jesus is drawing from. The one who is thirsty and comes to Jesus to drink, then becomes the one from whom living water can flow to others. And again, with references for ministry tasks and with all sorts of things in the church, with all of these things that we look for, that should all be secondary to, to probably two big questions. Are you thirsty for Jesus? And do you love him? Because in John's gospel, Jesus here in chapter 7 says, if you're thirsty, you come to me and drink, living water flows from you to others. The double meaning, it also means it'll flow from Jesus, but we'll get into that another time. Are you thirsty? If you want to minister to others, a prerequisite is that you have a thirst for Jesus, a yearning for him. You haven't got everything sorted. You're not super qualified, but you have a thirst for him that he then satisfies that you then pour out. And also later in John, in another message in John 21, he says to Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Right, tend my sheep, tend my lambs. 
those who want to minister to others need to be those who are thirsty themselves. And if you're in any sort of position of influence for the church, whether it's here or somewhere else, and you know yourself that you're not thirsty for him, take a break. Take a few weeks off. Let somebody else preach. Get a guest to come. And allow that thirst to be quenched from times of of refreshing and communion with him. We allow people maybe much too easily to, to get into positions of influence and positions of leadership. And they're not thirsty enough for Jesus. And they don't love him enough. And we very quickly put them in a place where others look to them as their only point of contact for the gospel. And we're so quick to fill a position or get someone to do something. There's no shame. There's never any shame. And I've learned this myself in just backing away and saying, here, I need a break. I just need to, 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 to sort a few things out. There's nothing majorly wrong, but I just need to go and sort out my thirst. I need to be with him. I need to commune and have refreshing with him. I think the purpose of thirst, you know, for your body, the purpose of thirst is to remind you that it is a good idea to drink water and you won't last long without it. It's funny how nothing else hits the spot. If it's a hot day, nothing else you go for, no fizzy drink, no hot drink, no, only water will hit the spot when you're really craving. I think the purpose of thirst spiritually is just to drive us to God. God knew what I needed that night that I waited for the guy in front of me to deliver some powerful prophetic word that would make me feel really good. He knew that I needed silence. (laughs) So I'd be driven, driven, driven to Jesus. It's the only source. The water only flows from the altar, only flows from the place of sacrifice. So I'm thankful for seasons of dryness. I'm thankful for times in life, and I've had them plenty of times, that, that just awaken within me a thirst and a desire, a yearning to go in hot, hot, hot pursuit. I want to quote as a, as a close from one of C.S. Lewis's Narnia books. I haven't read them all. I hate spoofers who quote things as if they've read them all. I haven't read them all. I've read two of them. But this is a great quote from one of the other ones. Um, I think it's from The Silver Chair. It's, it's, I've probably used it before, but it's absolutely beautiful. The, the, the scene is that a girl called Jill sees a river and she's really thirsty and she wants a drink. And there's a problem. There's a lion beside the river. <laughs> and the lion is Aslan. And if you're not familiar with Narnia, <coughs> Aslan represents Jesus. And here's the conversation that they have. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. Just picture it. Let your mind, your mind set this all up. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. I am dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. You see it. You see the river and the lion and Jill. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, asked Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. 
And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to come aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? said Jill. I make no promise, (laughs) said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. The lion said, there is no other stream. That's genius. I was down here for a few hours on Friday night. And I can see... I can see in some of them, we talked about a few of them afterwards, that the delicious rippling noise of the stream is driving some of them frantic. (laughs) When all the silliness sort of fades and subsides and a few real conversations start, there's definitely a few of them that can see the stream, that can hear the rippling of the water and a desire rising to drink but fear in them, questions in them. They're looking at the lion and thinking, what will he do to me? (laughs) But the reality is that there's no other stream. There is no other place where thirst can be quenched other than the stream beside the lion. It says word and spirit there on the values board. Both frequently pictured in the scriptures using the illustration of water. Is anyone thirsty? Anyone relate to that experience of just yearning for him? And so easy to just to get caught up in things and to lose that and to forget to go and quench that thirst and you get drier and drier. I was reading last night just a couple of things online about thirst and this one place, it was... It was a bottled water company, so they were probably trying to push their own brand, but they were saying about how so much daytime fatigue is actually caused by thirst, by not drinking enough water. When you get tired during the day, what do you reach for? You reach for the coffee cup and maybe a wee sneaky bit of chocolate. You convince yourself, I need caffeine and I need sugar. You don't, you need water. (laughs) But how many of us just neglect to come and drink? So that's where I've been for, for a few months. And it's funny, you know, on, sometimes people come to me and the phrase that was used this week was, you look a bit jaded. <laughs> I'm jaded because I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I'm in pursuit. I want him. I'll never relent. There'll be moments that he'll seem really close and there'll be moments that in my mind he'll seem distant even though he's not. There'll be moments that it'll be you're almost scared to open your eyes during worship because you're afraid you might see him because you're just so aware of his nearness. 
And then there are other moments you're just getting up morning after morning, week after week, and you're reading and you're praying and you're reading and you're praying and you're just, come on, God, where are you? But 20 years on, that's how it feels. And I can't see it changing. And I want him more than ever. I want to know him. I've got nothing to give to anyone if I don't know him. Nothing. And all the training and all the books and all the strategies and plans and meetings and discussions, if I don't go to the well, if I don't go to the stream, I have nothing to bring to anyone else. Let's pray. Thank <laughs> you.